This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Welcome, Dr. Michael Skirker, back to Radio Stockdale. And this podcast, shameless plug time, www.stockdaleinteractive.com. And at that place, you actually see a pretty broad menu, 15, 16 different case studies we have right now. And tactical interrogation is one of those case studies. And and Dr. Skirker, you're the guy who actually uh, wrote a lot of that in terms of not necessarily the story, but the analysis of the story. So we're going to be talking about interrogation and torture. And you've got a lot to say about that, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I, I wrote a book called An Ethics of Interrogation that came out in 2010. I've written a, a bunch of other articles about interrogation ethics along the way. Well, let me tell you this case study real quick, just kind of set the tone. And then, Michael, I'd love you to just kind of jump in there. We've got a situation where a young Marine lieutenant is the officer in charge of a quick reaction force, and they're receiving mortar fire into their base of operations. And it's the lieutenant's job with his small platoon to go out and actually query, assess what was going on, and react to that attack. The attack happened to be mortars coming into the base camp. The lieutenant gets there, and all of a sudden, while he and his his Marines can smell cordite, there's seven guys standing around, and as the case study presents, they know nothing. Tell me a little bit, if you can, Michael, about that situation. You've You've got some guys actually driving into a location, and you see some people, a lot of emotions there, a lot of them, all of a sudden, you know, there, there's fear, there's threat, there's anger. What do you normally see happen in those circumstances when you let your emotions run away? So the concern is that the operators are going to have confirmation bias. They've, they're a quick reaction force. They are quickly reacting. And they want to be the heroes. They want to solve this problem, not just for the sake of the fleet, but for their own sake, that mortars are falling within their wire. So they want to find the guys. And confirmation bias comes in when you see fighting age males in the area where you think the mortars were fired from. And so you think, aha, these must be the guys or they must know something. And again, we're in a very different culture and people are staring at you probably not with a lot of love in their eyes because you're an occupying force of people who are not co-religionists. And so you see these guys who are staring at you or acting afraid of you because, after all, you're just rolled up in APCs and Bradleys and you're in battle rattles. So they're a little nervous about you. And then you think, aha, they're nervous around us because they know something. And you grab them. And the inclination is to, is to say, okay, I ask you who fired these mortars. Did you fire these mortars? And they say no. And you might think, again, confirmation bias. They're lying. They must know something. And the instinct is, especially if you've not got a lot of sleep and you're scared, is to become violent because that's kind of a natural inclination. If someone is not telling you what you think they should be telling you, you think, well, if I just shake the person, they will the words will literally fall out of their mouths. And so this is a rest of violence. That's perfect. Let me let me fill in the rest of the story here. So Lieutenant Reigns is there and he's got a staff sergeant, good guy, smart guy, you know, a, a sergeant who's been around for quite some time who walks up to the lieutenant and says, Lieutenant, I'll get 
I'll get answers here. What is that staff sergeant saying relative to the the next steps he's gonna he's gonna take? He's sitting there with his K bar, and the lieutenant's looking at him. By the way, there are other Marines looking at the same situation as well as the people who actually were in that location. This is all about the lieutenant having to take charge and make some pretty hot decisions because that staff sergeant might start doing stuff. Sure. And again, so there's this temptation to use violence. There is certainly in American masculine culture an assumption sometimes that a violent response is the more masculine, more authentic response. Any kind of response that says, no, let's try something that's not violent, the person, that advocate opens himself up to charges of being weak or being feminine or not being a man. And so you take that general American attitude and you put it into a military environment and all the more the young lieutenant is exposed, where if he says to the salty sergeant, no, do not use violence against this prisoner in front of his men, he's making himself potentially look weak or foolish or inexperienced or not having the resolve or the guts to do what needs to be done. So there is a natural tendency for a young lieutenant to listen to what his sergeant recommends anyways. And then especially in this fraught issue, there's even more of perhaps a natural tendency to go along with what the sergeant is recommending. That's a tough case study there. I'd like to say, you know, that there's no right answer. There actually are some right answers there. Um, but there clearly are some hard, uh, hard decisions that the lieutenant has to make. And the cool thing about this case study is that it actually takes you down different paths. If you start talking about staff sergeant, you know, the, the SOP says so-and-so, all of a sudden your Marines are looking at you thinking, gosh, doesn't this lieutenant have agility and flexibility and understand where we are right now. If you let the sergeant do what the sergeant seems like he or she, he wants to do uh, from the case study, the FBI shows up six months later uh, and that's a problem. Uh, or if you make the determination to you know, search the, the captives and let the interrogators uh, take care of it, then you come to a different solution. Let's talk about teaching this uh, just for a second. Any, any suggestions to uh, the instructors who might be teaching this? So we, can use this, we can use the MDR with this all the way along. So we can talk about constraints that torture is at its heart an attempt to destroy a person's autonomy. So you don't need any kind of complicated notion of human rights to understand that this is a grave violation of human rights. Dignity is the answer to the question, well, well, haven't these militants, if indeed they're militants, forfeited certain rights. Yes, you forfeit certain rights by engaging in terrorist activity, but you can never give up the right to your autonomy. So you can never give up a right not to be tortured, no matter what you've done. We can look at consequences that torture is not a reliable interrogation tool, that it typically is obviously very destructive for the victim, what a lot of people don't understand is also psychologically destructive for the torturer as well. If you do torture this person, you have a disposal problem. What are you going to do with this person? You can't let him go if he's indeed an insurgent. If he's an innocent person, you've just tortured an innocent person. You can't let him go because he's going to say what happened and you get arrested. You can't bring him into custody because he's innocent. 
even if he's an insurgent, you can't use tortured testimony against him. Either way, it's going to come out you tortured him. So what are you going to do? Are you going to execute this person, whether he's an insurgent or an innocent person? Really, as a U.S. service member, you're going to just murder a prisoner and then force your whole platoon to lie about it? You can see very quickly that the consequences accrue very quickly and it becomes an impossible situation, even in the unlikely event that you have been told some true facts. But again, usually what you'll get is false information, which will send you on wild goose chases. In terms of special obligations, you have a special obligations to your troops to get information, but you're not a trained interrogator. You don't know what you're doing. As we've just said, torture is not an effective interrogation tool. And finally, with respect to character, we know by interviewing torturers in different countries throughout history that torture damages your character, damages your soul. You have to destroy something within yourself to be able to do this to other people. So it fails all of the elements of the MDR. So it's a, it's a powerful teaching tool in that respect. Dr. Michael Skirk, an expert on interrogation and torture, thank you for joining us on Radio Stockdale. You're most welcome. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 